right, as we jump into the sermon, the question simply is this. What is your ultimate pursuit in life? You know, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, uh, if you don't mind shooting up that, that picture, he was saying that we live in a culture where our pursuits really center around what he calls the I, me, mine, myself philosophy. Where we try to pursue things that bring us, our family, our clan, those that we care about, our inner circle, just trying to build that castle to make sure that we are safe and happy. He calls it really the age of gross selfishness. That is the world that we live in. It's an all-about-us type of culture. And we are bombarded by it constantly. So if we are not careful, we here at Crossway, those that love God and desire to have more of him, all of us in this room, even for us, if we are not careful because of the culture and the world that we live in, we can fall into this trap to make life and our pursuits all about ourselves. thinking that that will make us happy. But as followers of Jesus, you and I, we can know what should be our ultimate pursuit. Not this, I, me, my, myself philosophy. But the Bible clearly defines what that quest should be. This is why our passage this morning is so important for us, because it teaches us that first, it is not about us. Do you mind turning to your neighbor and saying, it is not about you? There's not a lot of conviction in this room. All right? Really tell them, like, it's not about you. You know, it's funny, I had the teachers do it, and that one person was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> But it's not, and really the Bible points us to the fact that our ultimate pursuit is about glorifying God and having concern for our neighbors. It's like the two-part greatest command given by Jesus in the Gospels, to love God and to love our neighbors. So we have two points for us this morning. The first point is simply this, that our ultimate pursuit should be all for the glory of God. Let's look at verse 31. It says this, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So whatever the activity in life, Paul's saying, we are commanded to live this out for his glory. Right? This ought to be our ultimate pursuit in life. This is clearly laid out in Scripture all throughout. If you look at Psalm 29, 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Psalm 63, 3, it says, My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. He's worthy of all the honor and glory. And so the Bible over and over again tells us that that should be the ultimate pursuit of our life. So what does it mean to glorify God? It's a word that we use often. I think every song that we sang, I was kind of tracking. It mentions it multiple times in every one of the worship songs that we sang this morning. So what does it mean to glorify God? 
Do you mind with the person next to you just kind of sharing? What does it mean to glorify God? Do you mind sharing together? Go ahead. All right, for the sake of time, uh, I'm not going to call on anyone. The basic meaning of the verb is from the Hebrew word, which means to give weight to, right? So to glorify God is to recognize God for who he truly is, the sheer truth and weight of that, and then to properly and accurately respond in worship and acknowledgement every day. I like what one pastor said when he was defining glorifying God. He said, it means to highlight and to delight in who God is every day of our lives. What a beautiful thought, right? Every day to highlight him and to also delight and rest in him. This is why the Westminster Shorter Catechism answered the question, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's ought to be our ultimate pursuit. And I like what Paul mentions here. Because Paul mentions that we ought to glorify him, not just in the big things, right? Not just when we're on the missions field. Not when we're just at church or participating in spiritual activities. He mentions in the everyday mundane things like eating and drinking. Things we partake in three to ten times a day. Every day in the little details of life to acknowledge him, to thank him, to share about him, to live our lives, to highlight, and to give honor to the one that deserves it. You know, Pastor John Piper, he gave an example of how we can glorify God in the simple, silly example of orange juice. Okay? So I want you to follow along. This is what he says, quote, When I drink orange juice, I will affirm joyfully from the word of God that the color yellow is a gift of God. The sweet taste is a gift of God. The nourishment and the way my body uses it, it's a gift of God. The sun, the rain that grew the oranges is a gift of God. The trucking and the grocery chain that brought it to me is a gift of God. I will lift my heart and voice in prayer thanking God for this orange juice. And I will do this often so that others can know where all this came from and how wise, strong, and good God is. I will remind myself that I do not deserve this juice. I deserve to be in hell today. And so I will give thanks that my sins are forgiven and that this pleasure is in fact bought for me. This orange juice pleasure is a blood-bought gift for this child of God on the way to heaven. I will remind myself this particular pleasure, this taste, this coolness on my tongue, this nourishment reveals something of God to my senses and to my soul that could not be known any other way. That's why the world was created, because all of it is like a prism giving us some new sight of the glory of God. Then I will share this juice in love with others at the table. I won't hoard it all. And finally, I will use the strength that it gives me to continue to live for the glory of God. Isn't this amazing? He's talking about orange juice, right? And he's saying, I will glorify God. You know, we should do this 
because we don't drink orange juice all the time, but we should do this with boba and Starbucks, right? Amen, right? Every time you go to share tea, right, and Starbucks, I want you to look at that venti cold brew and tell yourself, I deserve to be in hell. But I am going to enjoy this venti. It's a gift. It's a good gift that God has given me. The coolness on my tongue reminds me that God should deserve all the glory. Amen? All right, you're going to remember that next time you go to share, okay? But in all seriousness, the idea is that really God is worthy of all of our acknowledgement, worship, and adoration. And so to glorify him is not a catchphrase for Christianity. It's the way we ought to live our life. That every single moment, every detail of our lives, every Thing that we are participating God is already involved in it and when we give him glory it means we are acknowledging the one that is already involved in bringing us the success the victory the peace the joy and the hope as we live life this is why C.S. Lewis he once said every morning when you get up and you slide your feet into your comfy slippers you ought to take that moment to glorify God in your heart, if not out loud. Why? Because every day starts and ends so fast. And not a thought about God sometimes. And then you realize at the end of the day that it was all just about you and your stuff. Brothers and sisters, doesn't that happen to you? Days go by so fast. You know, as you get older, it seems to speed up. Like when I was 16, I felt like summer was like a year long. You ride your bike with friends, you know, and you're just like, but now you blink and you're in bed thinking about what to do the next day and the day after. And sometimes we could just let days go by without acknowledging the giver of all things good in our lives. Look, we just had Thanksgiving weekend, didn't we? Do you mind, just with the person next to you, Maybe just sharing, like, what are you thankful for? What do you want to glorify God and acknowledge in your life, in your family, that he has been doing that has been a blessing? Okay? Can you share with someone that you have not shared with yet? Is that okay? Because I feel like it might be just your husband or wife. Okay? So maybe next to you, someone find someone. Something that we should be acknowledging God about today and giving him glory. Do you mind sharing? Let's do that right now. I'm going to just ask, maybe Pastor Steve could share something, maybe that you, the church family, what a blessing, right? Maybe Brother Seman, your family, not the church family? (laughs) Oh, Oh, okay, the church family too. You know, this uh, past week, you know, we don't have a big family. So, you know, my wife and I, we got to go on a little Airbnb trip with my parents and her parents. You know, and uh, 
it was beautiful. It was in Fallbrook, so nothing crazy, but we were there, and, you know, just sitting and watching the grandparents love on our kids, like, to celebrate their health, right? Because we can't take that for granted. That we could share in, in a wonderful meal. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy, right? We had some ham, some kalbi. It was a weird mix, all right? Hey, but it was beautiful. And I just feel like sometimes when we could kind of flip that switch and like C.S. Lewis encourages us to just kind of wake up and recognize, man, I have so much to be grateful for. Doesn't that transform our complaints to seeing, gosh, man, we are so blessed beyond what we deserve. And if we would just take a step back and to just recognize how good our God is, should we not be acknowledging him, highlighting him each and every day? Because the promotion you got, yes, you worked hard, but it was God working through you, giving you your health, your mind, the ability to wake up with health, to go and give you the opportunities to get the job in the first place. And now God is involved in every step. And us, we're saying, we give glory to God. Thank you, God, because you deserve it, not me. Uh, you know, Paul Beloche, um, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a worship pastor. He wrote that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. You guys know it? Open the Eyes of My Heart. Okay, anyways. <laughs> it was really popular back in the day. And... Um, so I actually took a worship seminar with him. Because many, many years ago, believe it or not, you're probably not going to believe this, but I was a worship director before I was a pastor. Okay? So, you know, at my previous church, I led worship. And then even here, the first six years of Crossway, uh, I led worship. Praise God that God brought better worship leaders to take my place, you know, like Chris, Bobby, and David. They do a wonderful job. I, I felt like I was a minor leaguer, and now they're the major leaguers, right? So we praise God for that. But I went to the seminar, and um, in his seminar, he was making this, this very important point that I'll never forget. He said, worship leaders get so much attention in our day, and even adoration. People ask worship leaders for autographs, uh, for pictures. Does this happen, Chris? I don't know if Chris is in here. but He said, so much so that the worship leader can begin to believe that this is about he or she. So when you do a good job, and people will come up and say, thank you for leading us. And you can say, I remember him saying, oh, glory to God. But walk away, deep down, you're thinking like, oh, I'm good. Glory to me. So at the seminar, I remember Paul Beloche, he looked at a bunch of worship leaders in the room. He says, the challenge is this. Worship teams must be like eyeglasses. Eyeglasses. And I was like, oh. He said, people walk into service hazy and foggy, unable to focus on Jesus because of their tough weeks. Your job 
is to bring into focus Jesus for the hazy people of God. And good eyeglasses are not noticed. They are only noticed when they are not working correctly. People just look through the eyeglasses to more clearly see the object they ought to be focusing on. But that is your job. So that the glory goes to God and not to you. And then he led a worship set in complete darkness. Isn't that crazy? I've never seen this. Because he said, I want you to be focused not on the musicians. I'm not advocating this, but he just said, so that you, you can focus and realize that it's about God. Friends, in our lives, sometimes the highlight will come to us. And our job always and our ultimate pursuit should always be that God, through my life, may people see who really deserves the honor and glory, which is you. If you get a chance, I love Psalm 115.1. Okay? If you don't mind shooting that up. You know, this week I want to just challenge you. Write this on a postcard or on a post-it or put it on your phone. And just put it somewhere where you're going to be a lot. Maybe in your workplace or maybe in your car, maybe in your kitchen. Uh, hopefully it's not your bathroom, but maybe some of you it's the bathroom. And just put it up on there and just remind yourself. It says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God has been so faithful. His love for every one of us in this room is so steadfast. It's not shaken. So he deserves all the glory. And may that be truly our main pursuit in life. Amen? Point two is our concern for our neighbors. Verses 23 to 29. This is kind of an interesting section of scripture, but very important. So if you try to follow along... This is what it says in verse 23. It says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Pay attention to verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If you look at verse 33 at the end, it says this, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Okay, so there's a lot going on there, but I just want to highlight. I want you to notice, Paul's desire is that through his life, that those that do not believe, who he calls unbelievers, would all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His goal for his life is to be concerned about 
his neighbors, in a way so that they would see the light of Christ in his life and be drawn into the kingdom of God. So he says, how do we do this well? And that's the point of this. He says, how do we do that? Well, he says, consider meat. You're like, what? Exactly. The point that he's going to make is this. Do not make dogmatic what is a gray issue in Christianity. One of the most unattractive things to the gospel is legalism. Legalism is when you think you can do something for God to be more loved or accepted by him. And we see in the gospels over and over again, these people that struggle with legalistic tendencies were the religious Pharisees, the Sadducees. And Jesus looked at them and said, look, you're fakers. You are placing things, legalistic things upon people that God isn't even asking them to obey. All right, did you get that? All right, so I made this little graph for you. I hope you're impressed. I made that myself. All right. So this is his point. There's clearly things that are sin. In chapter 10, before our section, for 22 verses from 1 to 22, he goes over and over again by expressing that you ought not to sin. He makes it very clear. He says, look, they lived in a very polytheistic culture. So there was a lot of idol worship. Just keep that up there. I want people to see how good of a job I did, okay? Just keep it up there. A polytheistic culture. So there was idol worship everywhere. So Christians, because they were free in Christ, they would participate in these things. They would practice in sexual immorality. They would eat the sacrificed meats right there, participating in the idol worship. They would show up to worship services drunk from being participants in the idol worship. Okay, do you see that? So from verses 1 through 22, he says, sin, absolutely not. You have to always pursue good. But then there is this area that's gray. They're morally neutral things. The Bible doesn't state that it's actually wrong. And one of those things was meat that was used in idol worship, but later sold in the marketplaces. So, he says, if you get invited into an unbeliever's home, they buy the meat that was used in idol worship. You didn't participate in the idol worship. You are in their home, and they bring that meat before you. He's saying what? Eat the meat. Why? Because you are free in Christ. No Old Testament law. Nothing hinders you from that because in Christ, we can eat and drink as long as it's for the glory of God, anything we want. Are you guys tracking? Okay, look at the graph again. Okay? So there's sin, bad. But there's gray areas. And he's saying in those areas... Because the goal is to bring people to Christ, to make your life attractive, to draw them, this is what he says. Paul is making the point, adjust your behavior based on your audience. You get invited into a home, they 
offer you a meat, later sold in the marketplace. Just eat it. You're free. It's fine. But another person who recognizes that meat as being actually used in idol worship, and they bring it before you, then what, what should you do? Anyone? He says, don't eat it. It's not a big deal. He's saying, don't make dogmatic, legalistic things on things that do not really matter. All right, uh, I was really contemplating if I should use this as an analogy, but I'm just going to go for it. Is that okay? I'm going to talk about alcohol. Because uh, the Bible is very clear. uh, If you get drunk, it's a sin. How many of you guys just enjoy like a glass of wine or beer just with your friends? Do you mind raising your hand? Oh, you, you guys are, you guys are more bold. I like that. First service, people are like, <laughs> I don't want anyone to know. The Bible is very clear. It, it's not a sin for you to enjoy a beverage with friends as long as they're self-control, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, in seminary, one of my closest friends was from Germany, so we would sit and talk about theology, and he would be smoking the pipe, right, and drinking a glass of beer. So, for him, his conscience is not seared because he's free in Christ. He doesn't see it as a sinful activity, nor is it. And so, because he's not bothered by it, what do I do? I can drink a glass of beer with him. Okay? You're like, Pastor John, how could you? Okay? Now, here's the thing. Well, like I said, it's a gray area. But you might run into people that have an issue with the Christian drinking any sort of alcoholic beverage. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have an unbelieving friend, they invite you, or you invite them into your home. And they come from alcoholic parents, and through their experience, it ruined their childhood and maybe their marriage. Or that person is a recovering alcoholic, or they're struggling with alcoholism. And they get invited into your home, and then as soon as they walk in, they know you're a Christian, and all of a sudden you're sitting there with, I don't know, a bourbon, I don't know, whiskey, vodka, Costco size, or whatever. (laughs) And they walk in, and they see you, and you are the Jesus person in their life. And what Paul is saying is that you are free in Christ. It has nothing to do with your conscience. But if you care about that person and trying to draw them into the kingdom of God, you, not because you hate alcohol, not because you feel bad about it, it's not your conscience, you're free in Christ, but because you care about that person more than your desires, you can lay that down because ultimately the goal is not your happiness, The goal is not you enjoying yourself. The goal is what? Concern for your neighbors. What Paul is saying is what Jesus told us. Be a light in a dark world. And if that means that you have to adjust your preferences, 
based on the comfort level of those that you are engaging with that do not know Christ, then it's worth it. So Paul is saying, there are people comfortable with me, there are some that are not. Because it's not a sin issue, it's okay. It's not a, don't be worried about your conscience. Live life in freedom, but as we desire to draw people closer, live life. Balancing, and this gives glory to God, when you balance your freedom in Christ and restraint based on the care and concern of the person that you're interacting with. Doesn't it sound a lot like I become all things to all men so that some may be saved. You know, during the pandemic, feels a long time ago, but there was a lot of things that were not good, but you know, one of the blessings was I saw a lot of people, especially our church people, uh, really showing care and concern about neighbors, right? Like, I never used DoorDash and Uber Eats before the pandemic, but people were sending food, cake, pretzels, all sorts of stuff to each other. And then uh, during the first year of the pandemic, I got shingles. I don't know if you remember this. It was bad. I thought it was for old people, but apparently not, right? And uh, I, I got it, and it was, it was super painful. And here's the thing, is I was bedridden, and there were some of you in this room. Uh, you guys stopped by my house. You guys were dropping off, like, soup. I, I got ribs once, right? I was like, man, I should get shingles more often, right? And, I mean, people were coming, like, every other day and dropping off things. And I remember even one time... Uh, a group of people came and they sang me a song from our church. My wife remembers this. You know, bless her heart, you know, Sergi, who is not with us, she was the one leading the song. She came, Pastor, we want to sing this song and, and we want to bless you, you know, so you feel better. And so they came with a banner and they're singing a song and I was sitting there like, oh, this is interesting, you know. This is really interesting, but I like it. But here's the cool thing that happened. My neighbor, um, there's a Vietnamese couple, uh, they're not believers, um, they're the couple that the first time I met them I was like, oh, what do you do, what do you do, and I was like, oh, I'm a pastor, and then they ignore me for like two weeks. <laughs> uh, but anyways, throughout the years, you know, living next to them, uh, you know, we've gotten close, they've invited me even into their home to look at the way they did their floors and all this stuff, so we've gotten close, but I remember uh, during the pandemic, they were noticing all these people coming by with stuff. And then the kicker was the people singing the song outside, and they were like, all right. So after uh, they came, and they were like, oh, hey, um, what's going on at your house? Why are people bringing and doing all this stuff and singing songs? And I, I remember I was like, well, uh, it's actually, uh, it's my church people. Uh, and they were coming because um, I was sick, and they just wanted to kind of encourage me. And, you know, they're like, man, they must love you. And I was like, I don't know, not really, but I, I just think, I was like, and here's kind of what I was trying to get, I was like, you know, that's kind of, I think, how the church is, you know. And we didn't get to kind of finish that conversation, but they're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so amazing. I've never seen 
Something like that. Being a light. When we show care and concern, even if it costs us, even if maybe infringes on our liberties, when we go out of our way to say, you know what? Because this person matters in the kingdom of God, I'm willing to adjust my life to bring them so that ultimately God would receive the glory. So once again, my brothers and sisters, what is your ultimate pursuit in life? May it be as it should, not about us, but about acknowledging and giving God glory. And then also, being intentional with the people that God has brought into your life. To show care and concern. So that maybe they would be interested, drawn to this beautiful thing that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's challenging for Crossway as we end 2023 and as we move into 2024. I pray that you and your household would really walk in these wonderful things of giving God glory and loving and caring for those around us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you You are worthy of all the honor, praise, adoration, the acknowledgement. Forgive us when there are times where we make our lives simply about ourselves, where we maybe try to steal the credit for the things that are going on. You have blessed us in so many different ways. We want to love you. Teach us what that looks like, what that means. We want to love on people, our neighbors. Teach us how that looks like in our individual lives. Ultimately, would you receive the glory in all that we are, in all that we participate in, that every single mundane moment in life would be filled with our praises to you, God. We thank you, and in your name we pray. Amen.